Good morning, church family. Hi, man, really excited to be with you this morning. I don't know if you noticed uh, from the picture of our new high school minister, but I just want to make you aware, I think Mark continues to hire folks with, with very little hair. And um, I'm not saying that he's scheming, but we might want to just keep, uh, keep an eye on that. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad to be with you. I, my name is Cody. I'm one of the ministers on staff. I get the privilege of leading our South Joplin plant. Hope City Church, and so I just wanted to, to share with you a, a little bit of an update this morning. We had a chance last week, Sunday night, to go down and have our first vision night, kind of first night to, to talk about what God uh, was up to and to chat through plans a little bit, and it was an incredible night. We, we had about 200 uh, name tags that we were slapping on everybody, and we realized after we burned through those 200 and there was still uh, a line of cars in the parking lot waiting to park that uh, you cannot underestimate God, amen? Yeah, he did, Yeah. It was truly, a, truly a great night. We had an opportunity to walk through the building and just pray over different areas of the building. We got to, to walk through where the children would be meeting and where the youth would be meeting. And in the worship area, we were able to stand at the front doors and pray for new families who uh, needed to hear about the hope of Jesus. And so we were just asking, God, would you breathe life into this church that you're wanting to start in April. And so it was an awesome, awesome night. And I just want to let you know that uh, we really, really covet and appreciate your prayers. We are asking for about uh, uh, 300, fa- uh, 300 folks that are willing to help us uh, get that thing going and be a part of the launch team. And we had a great number Sunday night. But if that's you and you feel like God's stirring your heart to be a part of that, there's going to be some more opportunities to do that. We're going to meet again in January. So we'll continue to meet and would love for you to jump on board with us if God's stirring your heart for that. And if you are able to pray for that, please continue to pray. There are a lot of details that need uh, to come together between now and April. So if you can believe it, Christmas is right around the corner, and uh, our retailers would have us think that it starts around September, but uh, it's right around the corner, and before we jump into the Christmas, uh, to the Christmas series, this week and next week, we're going to be walking through uh, Psalms, a couple different chapters in Psalms. We're going to be talking about uh, modern issues, modern problems that uh, were spoken about Uh, in scripture, in ancient times. And so we're going to be in Psalms chapter 1 this morning. And if you have your Bible, it's smack dab in the middle. And we're going to use Psalms chapter 1 to be a a launching pad for us to talk about the search for happiness. And so if we can this morning, I'm just going to ask you if we can be uh, really transparent this morning. And I know how this works, right, because I, I grew up in, in church, and when you come to church, you're supposed to, like, look churchy and act churchy, and we kind of have that deal down. And if anybody asks you a question, you always answer Jesus, right? Like, what do you want to drink? Jesus. It doesn't matter. You just, you're always safe with the Jesus answer. But I'm going to ask you this morning, I promise you I will be transparent with you, and I'm going to ask you to be transparent with yourself if you grew up in church uh, this is going to be a little challenging, but uh, do your best, all right? We're, uh, we're going to jump into this topic, and I want to start by just asking a question. And you don't need to raise your hand, but this is the question this morning that's going to help us get going, okay? Have you ever envied sin? 
See, some of you, because you're so churchy, you're already going, no, I would never envy sin. But let me ask it again. Have you ever envied sin? Let me kind of play this out, okay? So I uh, knew a couple that uh, were friends of ours, and they were talking about how they had gone to dinner with another couple. And while they were at, at dinner, uh, the husband had uh, gotten a soda, and the wife had gotten water, and then she was, like, taking sips off his soda, and he was getting a refill. And he, he was sitting there telling me how completely wrong this was. He's like, I cannot believe they were doing that. And of course, I'm nodding my head like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm very confident I've done that before. So, um, but... <laughs> But I'm listening, to, I'm, I'm listening to him share this story, and I'm thinking, wow, what a, he's really conflicted by this, right? I mean, I'm so cheap that I, if I have a Chick-fil-A cup in my car, and I was there yesterday, and I go back, I'm sitting contemplating. I've not done it yet, but realizing there's a loophole that I could probably get a refill, a refill and no one know about it, you know? And so I, for me, these moral dilemmas take place every day, and and as a Christ follower, there's times where it would just be a lot easier not to have to worry about that, wouldn't it? I mean, I, there's times where I'm thinking, man, my faith has really confined me and restricted me. And I remember in high school, there were parties that I, weren't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to go to. And so um, I remember the next day I'd go to school and, and guess what was talked about? The party. And I'm on the outside thinking, man, this Christian thing is not fun right now. Uh, movies, man, I, you know the movies that everybody's going to be talking about tomorrow, and, and you've sat, and you've, you know, if, if you've really wrestled with whether or not you should go to a movie or not, knowing what's in it, those dilemmas are really hard to work through, and there are times, and I'm just being transparent with you, there are times when I look at my faith, and it's very restricting, and there's times when I just wish there was more freedom. I just wish I didn't have to worry about silly things like, refills on a drink. And sometimes I wonder if I just take my faith too seriously. I don't know. I'm being transparent. This is stuff that I really do wrestle with. And so this morning as we jump into this, I, I want to share with you a, a quote from an author, uh, Tom Wolfe. And Tom Wolfe says this. He says, in, in, in history, humans have always searched for freedom. And there's typically two kinds of freedom that they've searched for. He said they searched from f- the freedom uh, from tyranny, in other words, uh, freedom of religion and, and freedom uh, of, pol- of political persuasion. And then he said they, they would also search for the freedom of want, you know, to, to pursue the American dream. These are two freedoms that, that we've always searched for. And uh, he said, but there's something unprecedented happened. And he says it's like nothing he's ever seen in the current generation. He said the current generation is searching for a third kind of freedom. And he says it's freedom from religion. Not freedom of religion, because we've always wanted that. But freedom from religion. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you're impacted by it on a daily basis. I mean, we see it all around us. There's a culture who's saying, hey, if we can just not have to worry about religion, life's going to be a lot easier. And we're not conflicted by the moral dilemmas that come our way all the time. And then he says this, he calls this freedom from religion, he calls it the final freedom. And he says, what are the results of the final freedom? The results of the final freedom is rootlessness. It's a society that has no roots. And he says, our ancestors have always had roots. They've always, uh, they've always, 
if you would, uh, sought after religion. They've always uh, sought after things in which their commitments could be tied to, family values. Uh, I'm reminded of my wife's grandpa. And uh, he passed away not too long ago and, and lived a long life. Just a few generations before mine, he was a man of commitment and a man of faithfulness. His wife uh, ended up coming down with Alzheimer's, and she was at Spring River Christian Village in Joplin. And I remember Pop would go on a constant basis to visit his wife. And even in the last years, her not even knowing who he was, he was committed to that. He was a man of values. He was a man of commitment. He realized where his roots were. This is the tension I think we deal with this morning. My tension in following Jesus, and I think it's probably yours as well, that we live in a society that shouts to this generation. They're shouting, embrace a final freedom. And here's the problem in embracing that, we've completely lost our roots. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, a plant without roots is at best a tumbleweed. Is a tumbleweed freer than an oak tree? Yeah. It's free to be blown wherever it may go. Uh, this idea of being rooted like an oak tree uh, never hit me harder than it did about five years ago. And there was an event that took place in my life personally that allowed me to really evaluate the difference in a life that's rooted like an oak tree and the life of a tumbleweed. I got a call on the phone, and it was my aunt. And to give you a little bit of context, uh, my mom and dad were divorced uh, when I was one, and I've not had a relationship with my father. And at this point, at the age of 30, when I got the phone call, uh, you know, visited with him maybe two or three times, and can confidently say I, I didn't know my father. And she calls and says, hey, Cody, um, I have something to share with you. Your dad is not doing well. And, uh, and, and in fact, his life choices have caught up to him, and I'm not sure if he's going to live. He's in a life or death situation. And she said, I just I knew you'd want to know. Now, I don't know what you do with a phone call like that, um, I hung up the phone, and over the next few hours, I just began to think about the different paths that our lives had taken. My dad's path had taken one of substance abuse and taken a path of rootlessness and what Scripture calls weightlessness. And I'm sitting there wondering how in the world I was in the boat I was in, how in the world God took me and placed me in a great family and, and gave me roots and had redeemed some of the things in my life that I saw in my father. And I hung up the phone and Rachel and I, we were, we were supposed to go that weekend to St. Louis and she had told me that he was in Columbia, Missouri and described what his car looked like. And so Rachel and I went to, to St. Louis and, and the next morning at the hotel, I said, hey, I think I'm gonna go to Columbia, I think I'm going to go try to find my father. And she looked at me like, really? <laughs> yeah, she knew, I mean, she knew the impact of what that moment meant. And uh, as I was driving in the car, this idea 
of the tumbleweed and the oak tree, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, good intentions don't determine your destination. Your path does. Did you catch that? Good intentions don't determine your destination. Your path does. And we've all been in those conversations, and some of us have been in those conversations where, where we are the ones saying it, where someone says, I never intended for that to happen, right? I mean, I never intended to not be a good father. I never intended uh, to have sex before I got married. I never intended for this to happen. I never intended to find myself in debt over gambling. I never intended. I never intended. I never intended. And what do we know? A lot of us have good intentions, but the paths that our life takes is completely different than the path that God would have for us. This leads us to Psalms chapter 1. And I want to set this passage up because here's what David's talking about in Psalm chapter 1. He's saying this. He's saying there's a life that's different. A life that's called, that's, that God calls us to that's different than this final freedom that the, the world is beckoning you to. And so he begins in verse 1, he says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There's a progression in this verse that's happening. He says this, Blessed is the one who's, who doesn't walk in step. And then he says what? Stand and then sit. Now, I don't know about you, but the guy's slowing down in verse 1. There's a football analogy that a lot of coaches will, will tell their players, hey, here's what I want you to do. We're going to come out hard in the first part of the game, and we're going to hit as hard as we can. And here's our goal. We're going to hit folks hoping that sooner or later they're not going to want to get up. And I wonder if Satan does that in our lives on a constant basis. I mean, doesn't he? He said, here's the deal. I'm going to knock you down, and I'm going to knock you down, and it's going to start, it's going to slow you down, but then I'm going to knock you flat on your back to the point where you're not going to want to get up, and I'm going to take you out of the game completely. And listen to me, church family. Some of you have experienced that, and you've seen that, and you've witnessed that. And God, oh my, this, this is so good. Verse 2. I don't know if you can say this in church, but there's a big but in verse 2. Uh, it says this. But the person whose, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, what happens? It says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I, I'm, this is interesting to me because the, and David doesn't say it's, you know, the comparison is between a tree, a big oak tree, and a fig tree. No, he says Here's the deal. You plant your life by streams of water, and God's going to begin to feed this tree. And he goes on to, to really compare what it looks like between the life of an oak tree and the life of a tumbleweed. And he says this in verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like what? Chaff that the wind blows away. Have you ever, man. Is good stuff. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And then, there, and then there's the promise, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, the wicked leads to destruction. And the reality for us this morning is that for a generation who's looking for happiness and freedom, 
and so many of us are finding the roots of our lives are being torn up and we're being tossed about. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. It says, there's a way that seems right unto man and yet in the end, it leads to death. Now I know men, there's a lot of men in this room that have never been wrong and I actually claim to be one of them and um, I'm gonna ask the men to, really focus on me during this next conversation because if you look at your wife, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> me and my wife have this ongoing conversation in the car about my driving. And typically it starts with the fact that if I apply the brake a half a second too late, she thinks we're gonna meet Jesus and she grabs the dash. That, ev- that event that has happened over the last 15 years of our marriage continues to happen today no matter what I do. And I believe wholeheartedly that the best way to drive is to be aggressive. This is like in my blood. My grandma was the same way, and she was an aggressive. And I'm like, I, let's go after it. Like, you got to be aggressive. Rachel believes that's how our family's going to die. And so there's a complete difference between my belief and hers. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with someone who really believed their way was the right way. I have, I have a feeling my wife is... Uh, is uh, very frustrated by the fact that I won't conform. But here's what I know. If you've had that conversation or you've been in that boat, what you find is your beliefs and your roots, man, they affect your decisions, don't they? I, uh, <laughs> I guess the question is this. So if roots are important, how do I become rooted? Well, verse 2 says this. Verse 2 says to meditate on the law. And I want to share something with you this morning, and it's, it's the fact that this word meditate, in Western culture, we don't really understand this fully. But here's what I do know. I do know there's a lot of churches all over the country with a lot of people who know the Bible, but they don't know the author of the Bible. Are you with me? And here's the deal. Meditating on the law does not mean reading the word. It means letting the word read you. And folks, if you want to be rooted, it's in verse 2. There's another, uh, there's another passage I want to look at this morning, and I think Paul puts it uh, in terms that we can really grab a hold of. And this passage is Ephesians three sixteen through 19. And it says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp what, how wide and how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that, and what's it, it surpasses what? Knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And Paul says there's a couple things that you can do if you want to be rooted. He says, you put your faith in Jesus, you give him your trust, and he begins to dwell in our hearts, and he begins to consume our inner being. And if you're you're new to church this morning, can I just tell you, this isn't no job, this is the real deal. He says that once we do that, we experience his strength and his power and as we begin to experience his strength and his power, we get a glimpse of his love for us. I mean, this, this passage is a passage you can mark. 
And I don't know about you, but when the storms of life come, my prayer is that I'm an oak, not a tumbleweed. So I'm in the car, right? And I'm on my way to Columbia. And I'm playing this conversation back and forth in my mind. How's this going to go? And at times, just kind of gazing off on the road. I'm sure driving aggressively, but I was by myself, so it didn't matter. And uh, I start just driving around Columbia and, and asking folks if they'd seen this car and went by the police station and just searching, not knowing what I was going to do if I found my dad. Not knowing what would happen or what I would say or had no idea. And so to make a long story short, I ended up getting a tip that he was in a, a parking lot and uh, or that there was a car like his in, in a parking lot and I drove over and pulled into the parking lot and I saw at the back of the parking lot there was a car like his and there was a man sitting in the driver's seat and I knew, I don't, I don't know how you know, but you know, you know what I'm saying? And I pull into the parking lot and I pull on the opposite side of the parking lot and I sat in my car and for a while I stared at my steering wheel and I had a pretty good conversation with God and I was doing most of the talking and I said, God, what in the world? Like, what am I doing? I mean, I'm coming to have a conversation with my dad I've never had a relationship with. I don't know what I'm gonna say. Like, what am I doing? And all I can tell you is this. There was a picture in those moments and you know, you have moments in your life where you're able to kind of do the movie reel and figure out how you got to where you are and there were pictures of people in the church who had poured into my life. There was a picture for me of my mom who had kept me in church and made sure I knew Jesus. There were picture of men, pictures of men in my life that came to my mind of, of men who just, uh, they were models of what a rooted life looked like. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I should have been a tumbleweed. Some of you this morning, you're sitting there and you're going, man, I, I should be a tumbleweed. What in the world? And can I just tell you, God is a path changer. Like he takes people that are going one direction and he completely, he completely adjusts their path and he takes people who are blown about and he roots them and establishes them through, through his love and through his word. And I got out of the car and I walked across the parking lot and I introduced myself to my dad. And we began to have an hour and a half long conversation. I... Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that relationship, but there's a relationship that has begun there. But I'm confident in this. I'm confident that I'm going to have an opportunity to share with my dad about a father who in those moments, I'm telling you, all I could think of was, God, you have fathered me. You are my father. And, and I'm going to have an opportunity to share with my dad about how, how God takes people who are going down one path and he redeems their life and he puts them on another path. And, and again, we serve a God who is a, a God of second chances, isn't he? He is. There's a passage in Jeremiah. I love this passage. It says this. It's gonna look familiar. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. It says this, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. 
Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Folks, freedom sounds good. But I tell you what, one of the things that God's showing me in my life is there's a lot more in being rooted than in being free in the sense of a tumbleweed. That the freedom that comes through Jesus and that comes through Christ is a freedom that puts us on solid ground with a solid foundation. Rachel and I had a chance this last, uh, this last year to go out to the West Coast. And uh, while we're out on the West Coast, uh, we went by the Mojave Desert. And if you've ever been out there, uh, there's a park called Joshua Tree National Park. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And in this desert, in this park, there's a tree that grows. It's called the Joshua Tree. And it's a pretty amazing thing because, as you might guess, trees don't grow in the desert. But the Joshua tree is a unique tree. And legend has it that folks, as they were passing through and discovering the Mojave Desert, saw and came upon the Joshua tree. And the way it got its name is the Joshua tree, its arms reached to the heavens. And so the people, they reflected on the fact that, that, that God was a God who took Joshua and his people into the promised land. And they called this the Joshua tree. And here's something cool about the Joshua tree. Uh, This was fascinating to me. Its root system is very, very deep. I mean, that's the only way it's able to survive in the desert. The only way when the harsh times come and when the difficult times, when the heat and the pressure comes, its roots are deep. But here's what I thought was even more fascinating. You can't tell how old a Joshua tree is by its rings because it does not have rings. So the way they tell how old a Joshua tree is is by how high its arms are reached to the sky because they know the higher the arms, the deeper the roots. And I don't know what that says to you, but I wonder if in our spiritual lives, often how we tell where our true joy and happiness comes from is by how high our arms are reached to the heavens. And I don't know if you've ever run into somebody that's just spilled Jesus all over you. But when you do, what you're gonna find is a woman of God or a man of God who has deep roots. Church family, that's what I long for. And the older I get, the more I fall more in love with the oak tree and less in love with the tumbleweed. And my prayer this morning, and I believe it's the prayer of David when we look at Psalm chapter one is this, that we would be a generation that would not be represented by a rootlessness, but that we would be a generation that stands firm in the truth and the soil that God has planted in our lives. This morning, if you're here and you'd say, man, my path has been a path marked by potholes and roadblocks, and and to be honest, it's been marked by destruction, I'm telling you, There's people in this room that can tell you about a God who changed their path. And that's what God does. If you want to talk to somebody, we've got uh, some some tables with lamps on them in the back. And folks, they'd love to just pray with you or encourage you, maybe answer a few questions you have. If you came with a friend this morning, have a conversation over lunch. Chat about what God's doing. Chat about the fact that you need a life that's rooted. Whatever it is this morning, don't leave without responding to the message that God's called us to.